this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, my little pup, Fredo, just passed away. And we talk about that difficult uh, transition. And uh, yes, we are working on getting a new dog. Uh, plus, the very funny Danny Pudi joins us. He's one of the stars of Mythic Quest on Apple+. Plus. He also did all 110 episodes of the NBC favorite community. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop podcast on Apple, Spotify, and at SteveMason.com. And don't forget, leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident. Going to recall Jacob and Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinske. Great guest coming up for you, Danny Pudi, who's on, uh, was from Community and also is now on Mythic Quest. Um, Sue, I had a very, very difficult weekend. And I think when you called me, I was just, I think I was just sobbing, right? You were. My uh, little puppy, Fredo, who has been in congestive heart failure for about the last six months, um, went to the hospital on Thursday and um, he was st- staying in the hospital. And then Sunday we went to see him and we took him out of his oxygen chamber and, you know, we got to see him and pet him and love him up and all that stuff. And then when he went back to the uh, oxygen chamber, he uh, he collapsed and died of a heart attack. And uh, we were absolutely, well, you know, devastated. Devastated. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I mean, I think this is the third dog in our friendship that um, that that you lost. And each one. It's, you know, and I think I've, I've had three dogs in our yeah, friendship yeah. that I've lost and, uh, it's, it's the worst. Yeah. It's, it's just a terrible feeling. And I guess it was the suddenness that got us because we had literally just seen him, just took him on a little walk, just saw him. He seemed completely normal. And then we were getting ready to leave the place and we got a call and said, come back right away. And, um, yeah, and then he uh, he was such a good boy, this most gentle, sweet guy. And we, um, he was not happy taking his pills. I actually talked about it on the show. He doesn't like his pills, didn't like his pills. And uh, the doctor said that he probably had about another two or three months. And I think he just sort of saved us the agonizing decision of when to actually put him down so i think he was doing us a favor mm-hmm. out the door and then we got to see him right yeah. before mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. so you have another dog sophie um what is sophie's reaction been i uh, do you see notice something that she looks around and misses him or well sophie is deaf and okay um, and fredo was like 
her guide dog, like mm. Sophie would hear something. So, so something happens at the front door. Sophie can't hear it. She doesn't run to the front door because she doesn't know that there's anything going on. What would happen mm-hmm. is Fredo would hear it. Mm-hmm. Fredo would run to the front door and bark. And then Sophie knew that's my cue to go to the front door and bark. Mm-hmm. So Sophie's been super quiet and I'm sure really, really confused. She's sniffing everything. She was sniffing his toys last night, ah. um, all that kind of stuff. So she knows something has, uh, has changed, but we, we went to uh piece. Of, I think I was stoned for a solid 24 hours and Juan was drinking and we were just like drowning our sorrows. And uh, now Sue. Yeah. We're going to get another dog. Uh, that's the best medicine. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get another dog. You know, I asked you about Sophie because um, when we had to put Charlie down a couple of years ago, we came home and our other dog, Tucker, who is, I don't know, maybe he's, I don't know, six years uh, younger than Charlie. Right. Um. <laughs> You would have no idea there was another dog in the house. Really? He had no sympathetic reaction <laughs> at all. <laughs> he just was like business as usual. Um, you know, I'd be like, you know, do you miss Charlie? Where's Charlie? He'd like look at me like, who's Charlie? I mean, <laughs> and there was, you know, there was a part of me that appreciated the fact that he wasn't sad because I didn't have to deal with his sadness. Yes. But there was another part of me that was really pissed off. Like, how like, could you how not could be you? upset? You lived with him for so many years. And, and they were very close. Well, yeah. they seemingly well, were very close. We So we went through this. They, they say, and I don't know who they is, the internet, whatever. <laughs> they say that it's good if um, your other dog sees the dog that is being put down like afterwards so he knows that there's like a closure to the thing oh really so when we put down hollis um on not that i remember march 30th 2010 when we put down hollis um we put him down on the bed and he by the way he got um steak and he got uh, ribs and he got ice cream. He got all the stuff that a dog would never be allowed to eat before we actually like a dog, dog, uh, death row. Exactly was, was. exactly was. (laughs) And so we put Hollis down on the bed and Sophie was there and Sophie um, just went over and sniffed him. Hmm. And then I'd left a rib over on the side table. She immediately ran to the rib. She's like, "Oh, Oh, he's dead. I want a rib. That sounds like uh, like it was like a Jewish putting down of a dog because food is always involved. Food is always Jews, involved, no matter what. Death, yeah. food, a yeah. bris, you're you're cutting off a, a piece of a, a baby's penis. Food, <laughs> it's always food. <laughs> yeah. So we picked out a a pup. We haven't gotten him yet, but his name. You know, all our dogs have had uh, movie names. So uh, Hollis was from uh, Chinatown. Hollis Mulroy was one of the lead characters. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a dog named uh, Enzo, who was the baker in The Godfather, the guy who stood out in front of the uh, hospital and kind of scared away the guys that were going to kill uh, the Don. Uh, then we had Fredo, who's obviously from uh, The Godfather. And then this dog, has the name Sonny. Oh. And so we thought, well, 
you know, that's probably, you know, from the Godfather. Sure. Uh, why not Sonny? So we're probably going to keep the name Sonny for him. He's a, he's a cute little guy. And, um, but I, we got Fredo about three days after Enzo passed. So mm-hmm. I just feel like the house is super quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, Sophie's gotten really, really quiet, you know, doesn't really know what to do. So we're, we're going to make the plunge and, and get another little pal N- never to be replaced, but I never, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pal. but it is one of those weird things, you know, I mean, especially as you know, your dog gets older. Like I had older dogs, you know, Charlie was 16 and a half and Tucker is going to be 16 this year. Right. And, um, you know, like some years ago. Um, and even when I had Charlie, when he was getting much older, um, you know, I'd look around and I, you know, see people walking their dogs and I'd already in my mind think, well, that's like, that should be my next dog. And then I felt so guilty thinking <laughs> that that's like, yeah. I, Charlie can't read my mind because it's like, I'm still here. Yeah. Just right. focus. I'm here. Just don't think about another dog. But that's the thing with dogs. Because I never want to be without a dog. Me either. So, um, Me either. you know, we didn't we didn't get another dog after we put Charlie down because Tucker was so aloof. Right. And, and if he was if he was grieving, because um, we we got another dog. We got Charlie because when we put down our prior dog, he was kind of like Sophie. He was like looking around and and he was like, "Where's Sam?" Like he he was really really lost without her. And it wasn't so much an age thing. I think it was a companionship thing. Um, so Sam was the dog that you got when we were in New York, right? Yes. Yes. The shepherd, the shepherd mix. And Hollis was the dog that I had in New York. Yes. I, yes. So those were the original Mason and Sue dogs. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Fredo uh, is was just the the best. He was sweet. Yeah, he was a, guy. he was a cutie pie. Sweetest he was. little guy. All right. So on that note, well, uh, I can't wait to wait to meet the new dog. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait Sunny. to meet Sunny. Sunny, exactly. Cool. So uh, our guest today was one of the stars of the beloved TV comedy Community. He is now part of the cast of another hilarious ensemble comedy called Mythic Quest. Season three is airing now on Apple Plus. Danny Prudy joins us. Danny, thank you so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So, uh, so I want to talk about Mythic Quest and Community too, but it'll start with Mythic Quest because you know I caught up on on Mythic Quest to get ready for this. I am not a gamer. I've never been a gamer. I don't really understand the culture at all. How much gaming did you do before you started shooting this show? You know, in the early 90s, when I was a kid, plenty of gaming. Uh, I went back to playing um, things like Zelda, Ocarina of Time, and I had a lot of fun playing GoldenEye with Nintendo 64, Uh, but it's been a while. I definitely wasn't prepared for the level of gaming that there is currently uh in our in our um show mythic quest really explores a sort of open world concept what gaming has become which is massive and ongoing and constantly being renewed and so i i had to catch up but um thankfully our partners ubisoft and we've had some people there um consultants on set to educate us about what gaming is now so did you did you know the it's always sunny in philadelphia guys before i mean did you know i mean obviously you knew who they were but did you know them uh, before you got this gig? 
Oh no, just just like uh, just from watching Always Sunny, you know, and and laughing at like you know Danny DeVito coming out of a couch, and you know there's, there's been plenty, plenty of uh, humor over the years that show's been uh, on for so long and provided so many laughs. So I knew of them, but what brought me into this world is uh, I'm friends with Megan Gans, who's a co-creator of this show. She had worked on Community. She texted me about this show and said, hey, there's this role on this show that I'm working on. I think you'd be great for it. It's completely different from anything you've played before. He is um, very much a villain. And I'm like, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think of you as a villain, but you totally, uh, totally pull it off. Uh, okay, so the gaming part of it is fascinating to me because I'm not a gamer. But this whole uh, MMORPG thing is yes. fascinating to me. Is it a little bit like Dungeons and Dragons sort of thing? Um, I guess there's parts of it, you know, that are like Dungeons and Dragons where you take out a role and um, the world is very, very big. I mean, the big thing about this game, Mythic Quest, and a lot of games now, which is really cool, is become it's, it's this sort of social community. You know, it's really you go in there and you engage with the community and the game is one thing, but then you go in there with your buddies or friends or you engage with people and it, became, it becomes something completely different. And my character, Brad, on the show is the head of monetization. And this was something new to me. A lot of these games are free to enter. Um, but when you go in there, there are uh, all these different things you can buy, skins and upgrades and things to personalize the experience. You know, So like my son is playing Fortnite now. And, you know, he's all excited about whatever's the new weapon you can get or the new moment, um, uh, the new item of the moment that you can get. And so that's the cool thing to see how these games have um, become these ways where you can kind of personalize your own experience within this world that uh, everyone is sharing. So how much does it cost to buy each individual thing? So it could vary, you know, so um, it could be 99 cents for an item or it could be like a thousand dollars for an item. and um, you know, there's people who, you know, can uh, grind for those items, you know, by putting in a lot of work and how you can achieve some of these items, but some of them you can't get, um, unless you, I think either purchase them or you spend like a zillion hours, uh, working towards that item. So that's been kind of a fun thing to, to learn about in this world. So, so is it, does it become kind of like a frequent gaming miles kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. It's like me trying to get my advantage uh, miles up so I could, you know, get a little bit of extra legroom. <laughs> that's that's what this is. So more really, legroom. Really, the show is. I mean, in that it's an ensemble com comedy. It's it's a lot like uh, Community in that way. Um, yeah. Was there a point where you sat down? I'm always wondering this. So you sit down and do the table read. Did everything click at the table read, or how long did it take for the cast to sort of? settle into their roles on Mythic Quest? That's a good question. I, I think with uh, ensemble comedy, um, it starts with good writing, which uh, that, you know, that is the gift, right? You read something, you're like, oh, this is wonderful. I see the specific world. There's fun stuff I can do with this character. And then it's about the people around the table coming together and kind of bringing their own uh, special rhythm to that, uh, to that role that fits into this kind of comedic stew, you know? And so, with community, it took, I remember all when we were filming our, I would say our Halloween episode, which was our like sixth episode, sixth or seventh episode, that I felt like, okay, I'm starting to understand what we're doing. <laughs> uh, but it, it takes, sometimes it takes a little bit. So that's like the sixth or seventh episode of community. Here too, I would say like halfway through the season, first season, 
um, we start gelling together. And it, ultimately, it takes that one big group scene where you're all around the table or us, we're all in an office kind of going around, uh, going around the office. And you kind of get to see there's one item being discussed and you see everyone's point of view quickly. And that's when it kind of started, it started to feel like it was clicking when I could look around the room and be like, I know I'm going to react to this person. I know how I'm going to react to this person. I'm already sick of this person. It's great. That's when you know you got something kind of fun. So I know you have a big improv background and how much were you able to use that in this show? That's pretty cool. I mean, the Always Sunny team, uh, Rob and David and, and Megan, I think the joy of our show is that it starts one way and then frequently scenes will take on another direction. You know, we the story pretty much always stays the same, but there's moments that allow spontaneity or something organic to happen. And a lot of that is them trusting the actors uh, if they have a different idea or something, you know, more nat- feels more natural in the moment. That stuff happens all the time on set, which is really cool. So I love when you guys sort of, and I've stolen this from my uh, radio show on ESPN. I love when you guys sort of talk over each other. Like, you know, like yeah. Poppy would say, I, I think I'm cool. And then Brad and Ian are like, no, that's yeah. not cool. And she's yeah. still <laughs> saying, I, I think I'm cool. Like, wh- what's it like shooting scenes like that? I, I Does anybody ever break? Do you, do you uh, how much of that is improv? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love those moments too. When um, we can, we kind of extend a scene a little bit longer than we need to, because we know we could cut it, you know, we can, in editing, you know, you can kind of go back and usually we'll make sure we get it right. Uh, the lines right one way, but then sometimes you, like those moments are really fun to kind of lean into um, teasing each other a little bit, because that's what really what friends do. You know, it's kind of, they'll, you know, they'll rib each other a little bit longer. So those are really fun to do. And we'll kind of push it a little bit, knowing that um, we'll probably have to go back and do one where everyone's dialogue is clean and you can get it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we do that kind of stuff, I think, all the time. Um, the overlapping, I too find really enjoyable, um, especially in our show when anybody thinks that whenever da- David says something kind of mildly inappropriate <laughs> yeah. or he thinks he's cool. Uh, it's fun to have the whole group chime and be like, David, 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 come on, David, David. Sometimes we go a little too long when they're like, guys, it's a, it's a 30 minute show. We can't have 17 Davids. It's so funny how, you know, I, I, I think the writing really is ingenious. I, I, it's so great. But I love how the characters like they'll compliment someone and insult somebody in the same <laughs> sentence. Yes, yes. What is that called? Complisult? I don't know what that's called. Yeah, complisult. I like complisult. Complisult, yeah. I think there's a term for it, but um, I always find that enjoyable. I think that's what what brought me kind of, uh, it clicked for me with Brad, is that Brad has this sort of um, ability to point out the good things that you're doing, you know, but at the same time, uh, just kind of cut you down um, and talk about how you're, you know, not doing it for the right reasons, not excelling at your job. Uh, you're standing too close to me. Um, you're breathing too hard. He's uh, there's always kind of a nice little social jab in the midst of his uh, compliments. And um, I don't know. Again, that feels very like like friends. You know. Yeah. You know, uh, Dan Harmon, who you worked with on Community, said that 95 percent of the show is casting. Do you find that to be the wow. the same with Community and with Mythic Quest? I don't know. I mean, I will say that it, there is uh, a special thing when um, you find the right people. 
and bouncing off the right people. I think ensemble chemistry is something that is hard to uh, force. It's really hard to force, you know? And so with community, I I just remember those moments where we'd sit around a table and uh, in between scenes was just as entertaining as it was while we were filming. And I think that's part of it is having um, people who are on the same page but comedically different or bring their own special rhythms to a group that allow for these kind of spontaneous fun things to happen. Right. Um, so, and that's casting. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the creators being like, let's find the right person for this. I know with our show too, um, a couple people were um, auditioned for certain roles and then came in and um, uh, they had them come in again. Like I think Jesse Ennis is, is an example of that. She's so funny in the show. And I don't think she originally uh, like that role was initially the role that she was going to be, or they, I think they, they tailored that role to her because she was the right person. So I think that's part of it too, is finding someone who you feel like, Oh, this person, their energy, their comedic timing, they're going to fit great with, uh, with everything else that we got going on here. Well, you know, you really see that all the time. I actually went to the Academy of Motion Pictures, uh, the, um, the, the new museum that they opened up. Oh, cool, cool. And they have this one section that's dedicated to The Godfather. And they showed all the, uh, audi- they showed a lot of auditions. So they showed Robert De Niro auditioning for the Sonny character. Mm, which wow. I didn't know yeah. that, that, that was, um, I didn't know that, that, that happened. Yeah. And you see it. And then they show the scene that he auditioned for with James Caan. Mm. Oh, that's cool. And it was complete, like, it, it's completely different. Like, yeah. would it have been great? Well, De Niro's great, so I'm sure it would have been great. It just would have been different. That's you know? exactly it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but I want to think I, about that. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about um, you directing. You had your directorial debut um, in this season. And I, I wanted to know when the seed was planted that you wanted to, rec- to direct, and how did it come about? Did, did you vie for it? Or were you asked to do it? Uh, so uh, it was super exciting. I got to direct the fifth episode called Playpen. Um, and I think in our show in particular, there are multiple people who um, wear a number of hats. Uh, Rob directs, writes, acts. Uh, Megan Gans last year started directing and writes. Um, and then this year, Ashley Birch, David Hornsby, and I each had a chance to direct for the first time. And all of us act in the show. So I think it was... It was a environment that allows that to happen, so I felt safe. I think that was cool. Um, I think I've, I've, I've thought about it for a while. You know, I, years ago, I directed a, uh, a short for ESPN's 30 for 30s um, called Untucked, and I, I had a lot of fun doing that. And What um, was Untucked about? Untucked was about um, Marquette's 1977 National Championship basketball team. I went to Marquette University. Yeah, so you're on the yeah, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was Al McGuire, right? That's right. Yeah. And I was, I was always a big fan of their basketball program and uh, in particular their style, their, uh, their jerseys always were just like next level. I just had colors and I always thought that they were just doing different stuff. And so I kind of did a deep dive into that story and I discovered that the jersey that they wore ultimately this untucked jersey, which I thought was super cool, purposely designed to be worn outside of the shorts, designed by a player initially, Bo Ellis, um, who was, um, on their national championship team. And this is the jersey that they wore, actually, in 1977. So uh, the, the documentary is a little bit about that, uh, how that came to be. And um, so they're really fun. But I guess that spark kind of started there in terms of directing. I enjoyed it. 
um, acting is my first love, but I was like, ah, oh, this would be kind of a nice next place to go and um, be able to participate in storytelling in a different way. So I actually texted um, Megan Gans about it last year after she directed. I think she gave me the courage. And I was like, what do you think about me directing once I knew we got picked up for a third season? She's like, great. Talking to Rob about it. We'll set you up. We'll make sure you're all set. You can shadow. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. It's cool. Yeah. So you are uh, in your, uh, I'm trying to think, your dad came from India and your mom came from Poland. I think I've got that right. How did that sort of inform your sense of comedy, your talent, your kind of feeling in the world? How did that, how did that inform all that stuff? Ooh, let's go deep. Psychological. Okay. Yeah. We got to wake it up. Got to get, uh, <laughs> I think in many ways it's, it shaped me. Uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago and uh, like you said, um, family of immigrants. Um, and in our house, we, you know, I, I speak Polish, you know, we grew up speaking Polish. I went to Polish school. I did Polish dance and, uh, and, and then outside of the house, you know, I was seen as something completely different because I, you know, present as, as South Asian, you know, and, um, so I have these kind of multiple worlds that I always felt like I was inhabiting. And so I guess this, this performance element was always happening with me anywhere I'd walk, people would be like, wait, where are you from? What's your story? You know? And so that was the thing. And then within our own household, performance was always encouraged. I was always reciting poems at the dinner table, um, forced to do things like that. And, um, and dance was always encouraged. So there was this element of performance always at play, as well as this sort of idea of like looking um, looking at things from a macro level, because I was always the only one like me in a room frequently. Um, you know, I saw how people reacted to that and would kind of just like look around and be like, this is just interesting how, uh, I went in a room and everyone's looking at me, you know, <laughs> what do I do now? Do I dance? Do I, <laughs> do I shake hands? What do Read I do? You know? Yeah. What do I do? You know? So, so, so culturally growing up, um, what what kind of like films, music, literature were you exposed to? Lots of things that were, uh, I guess, different than I guess um, when a lot of my friends were, were exposed to. You know, so in our household, like I said, we grew up very culturally Polish, and so I was um, aware of like Kislowski films, like uh, he's an amazing director, and he did this series called The Decalogue on Polish television. He did this trilogy called Blue White Red. Yeah, Blue White so Red. We, I saw that. That's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. And they're beautiful films, you know? And, and so I was aware of like things like that, you know, um, the music we were listening to was just, was just different, you know, but at the same time, me and my brother and my sister were constantly just like leaning in front of the television when we get home from school and watching, you know, cartoons and, and, you know, at night I couldn't wait to, uh, to stay up to watch Saturday night live. And, uh, I would try to watch things like Monty Python with my older brother and try to understand why Spinal Tap or Monty Python was funny. At the time, I didn't get it, but I wanted to so badly because I just saw people were laughing and just this idea of like, uh, you know, people taking things seriously. Um, like those are my early memories of, is like watching like Mr. Bean or things like that with my brother and being like, I don't fully get this, but I'm kind of into it. Hmm. So uh, you play uh, on, on Community. You play a bad who's who's got like a psychological or has got a, a the ability to recall lots of films, lots of references, lots of TV moments. Um, yeah. Are are you like that? Do you have that in you, or did you when you got a script say, "Oh, I didn't even know that before"? 
Uh, I definitely am not. <laughs> I'm not an encyclopedia. I think that was um, something that I had to uh, get up to speed with. I mean, we had a lot of people on set who are like Jim Rash, Allison Bree, Joel McHale. I would frequently turn to them on set and be like, uh, can you explain this reference? Uh, did you watch Farscape? Um, some of the stuff was familiar to me, you know, um, and I would say my skill set was I was a, a big sports fan as a kid. I, so I was always memorizing like baseball statistics or basketball statistics. I grew up in Chicago watching the Bulls, collected baseball cards, basketball cards. And so me and my friends would do that, you know, and so it was kind of like just transferring that memorization and, you know, that geeked them into a, just a different uh, different category, right? Um, so some of it was familiar, um, and the rest was relying on Dan Harmon, our incredible writers, helping me out. So your character um, um, has uh, uh, was diagnosed well has Asperger's for all intents and purposes. I mean, it, and what I read, which was so interesting to me, that Dan Harmon, who obviously created the show, he realized that he had the symptoms while he was um, researching this a character on the show oh, wow. which i thought was uh, unbelievable that he didn't really know that he had it but when he was reading about it, it was like oh wait a minute that's me that's that's fascinating I, I i will say that's like the the beauty of the show is that it is a uh i mean dan's writing is just incredible but i i think early on i remember when i first picked up the script um you know, my agents had never said this to me before, but they said, this is the role you were meant to play. And uh, no, they since then, they've never said that. <laughs> that was the only time they ever said that. <laughs> um, and when I read it, I was like, wow. I was trembling because I connected with Abed very deeply, but also this world. I knew I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this show. I'm going to love watching this show. There's something just like really um, fascinating about it. And I think that starts with Dan's writing, which was very specific and he also with all the characters i think really uh just dove deeper than uh i think um you think you know we were always kind of doing that with any kind of like uh joke or um any kind of um reference we were always making sure that it was still aligned with the character so it wasn't just kind of a reference it was a reference that made sense within the world of the character in that moment which i thought was just really beautiful so um anyways i just think that's that's again testament to dan so uh, the question that uh, everybody wants to ask me is, what is the update on the community movie? I know it sort of bounced around a little bit. And then in the fall, mm. it seemed like there was something a little bit more concrete. What's going on with that? Oh, this is great. <laughs> I would like to know as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, well, the update is that we're doing it. So that's exciting. Um, but we haven't started yet. So I can't say we're like doing anything yet. But um the big update is that we're excited to do it. We've agreed to do it. And now it's just a matter of, of, of getting together and, and letting the cameras roll. So um, hopefully something, uh, something extra. That's, that's the goal. So uh, I love Larry King. Interviewed him many, many times in, oh, my, yeah. <laughs> in my life. Uh, he's a, he was a great guy. And, and really... You are responsible for one of my favorite Larry King moments. Now <laughs> I'm going to try. Sue, so you don't know I'm going to do this. I am going to try to do this. If we, if it doesn't work, we'll put it in in post. But I'm going to try playing this. This is a great moment between Larry King and Danny. Uh, a luxury you can't live without. 
a luxury I can't live without coffee. I really like good it's coffee. It's not a luxury. You can get it anywhere. Ah, I guess, yeah. I like good coffee. What, what's? Uh, I love coffee, too. I like nice socks. Socks. Your, your socks, would you put in your shoes? Yeah, I really love them. I like kind of like, you know, cozy feet. You're attracted to your socks. I'm attracted to really nice running socks. Like, I'm always looking for good running you know, socks. Not, that's not a luxury, though. Coffee and socks are not a luxury. All right, give me a luxury. What, what luxury should I have? Private plane. Larry, I'm on DuckTales. <laughs> Larry, I'm on DuckTales. It's such a great line. God, that was fun. Oh, thank you. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful time. I had such a wonderful time speaking with Larry. Uh, his interviews just were so unexpected. And, and I just just remember thinking, like, private plane. I, first of all, I was, like, thankful. I was like, wow, this guy thinks I'm on another level. This is cool, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, that was that was a treat. I really do love socks, though. I just want to give another shout-out to running another socks. Another shout-out well, to socks. Well, yeah. I, I actually, I saw that interview, and I'm totally in your camp with socks because I'm a runner as well. And oh, you yes. cannot, you cannot yeah. underestimate Boom. the the importance of really, yes. really great socks. And actually, last is. year, my husband said to me, what do you want for Hanukkah? And I said, I want you to buy me a ton of running socks. And he looked at me like, oh, come yeah. on. No, I can't do that. I said, <laughs> yes, you can. You know, running socks aren't cheap. You know, really no. good ones anyway. Um, I said, you will probably spend more in running socks than you would, you know, maybe like if you bought me like a really nice like handbag. <laughs> Don't need it. It's practical. Exactly. Get that sock, right? Ooh, get those yes. legs. I actually, I put it on my Christmas wish list this year too. I'm very can. excited about the new running socks I'm going to get. So, I need some so, new trail. Yeah. So what? What running running socks are your favorite? Um, so this year I'm going to try out these new ones, uh, Tracksmith. I heard really good, but my favorite are Belega. I That's really what like I'm Belega. wearing right now. Right there it is. <laughs> I knew it. I know. And your feet feel great, right? You're not worried about, not about blistering. Never, never got, never got one blister with these socks. And it's, I, it's I, I, I don't think I've run as many marathons as you. I've only run one marathon. I ran the LA marathon some years ago, but I run Amazing. a lot of calves and I, and I run a lot. And, um, they they they've saved me through all my runs that's so great yeah features are good too belega but oh i'm glad i'm glad those are on your feet steve you got to get them they're great I, they're yeah good. i'm gonna they're have good. to try I'm, I'm not even a runner but i'm i'm gonna definitely try these things out i ran cross country in high school and i uh i hated it um and so <laughs> yeah. at the end of it you know i had my letter uh, and i finished fourth in the big final race and all that stuff and then I, at the end no. of it i said you know what? I am never running again. <laughs> I have never <laughs> run again. It's just like, I, yeah, uh, I played one year of uh, uh, football in high school, broke my collarbone, and immediately was like, I belong on the track. And so I started <laughs> running track. Didn't love it. And I've grown to love it, though, because I've realized over the years how it's become sort of, you know, my medicine, my peace every day. I just love it. I love it. Yeah, what about your mind? What goes through your mind when you're running? Isn't it? Does your mind race? Is it a little bit like meditation? How does that work for you? Huh. So I think it's a. Uh, it could be. It could be whatever's going on in my life at the moment, you know. And so I think the one thing is that I always feel like after a run, I ran this morning. Uh, it sets me up for the day. I feel like it grounds me. I get back. Uh, just kind of get back in touch with my breath. 
the world. My, my mind actually stops racing, uh, which is kind of nice. It kind of just grounds me. Hmm. Um, but during a run, you know, my mind can go anywhere. I could be like, uh, today I was counting peacocks because all of a sudden there's a, there's a, a flock of peacocks in my neighborhood. And so I was like, you know, I'm just going to be, I'm going to count peacocks. And it was like up to 14 today on my run. Wow. So that was, that was a, a game I was playing today. You know, just count the peacocks. <laughs> count the peacocks. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, this has been, uh, this has been great. Um, Mythic Quest, hilarious. By the way, the character that I miss is, uh, is the F. Murray Abraham character. Oh, I know. He was know. so good. He was such a funny. And then I saw him in White yeah. Lotus. I'm like, that guy is just like one of a kind. Yeah. Oh, the best. Such a joy. I was so fortunate to have a, a number of fun scenes with them. And I always loved when, when Brad and him would get together because it was just such a weird clash of people. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, it was a lot of fun to act with them. We, uh, we well, actually, ha we had him. We had him on our show. Yeah, he was on the show. He's fantastic. And, and at one point he told us that he was going to be doing like a, I don't know if it was really stand up, but he was doing some performance, um, I think at Largo. And uh, he said he would, you know, he says, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. You got to come see us. And then, you know, he never let us know. But anyway, I, that <laughs> would have been, that, that would have been, been such a treat to see oh, him dude. do some sort of like comedic stage oh my God. performance. Murray's stand-up. I don't think it would be like a traditional stand-up set. So I think I would love to see that. Oh, man. <laughs> well, listen, uh, okay. season three of Mythic Quest is streaming now on Apple+. Plus. The first two seasons are on demand. Plus, all 110 episodes of Community are streaming on Netflix now. Uh, we're looking forward to news about the Community movie sometime soon. Uh, Danny, thanks so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yes, here's the running socks. Happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> oh, Danny, what's a luxury item you can't live without? Oh, Larry, I'm on DuckTales. <laughs> Such a great line. He told us off the air that... He did it, and it, uh, it it just kind of came and went, and then all of a sudden resurfaced on TikTok, and everybody started sending him running socks. Well, running socks. <laughs> he said his, his, someone, a friend of his mother's or something, or <laughs> yeah. sent him, like, running socks and coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing about Larry, I so I worked with him a bunch, and uh, he's a great guy. And the thing about him is that he would never go back. Like, he'd never read the book or see the movie or watch the show. <laughs> before he did the interview do you know do you know about this he, no he would because he didn't want to know more than the audience did so in other words you've got a book what's in the book you've got a movie what's the movie about he, <laughs> he would go into it like not knowing anything about the project and i get it from a logical perspective but i also think it might have been a little lazy to not go. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I think of, you know, us doing this show, you know, I'm up till all hours. Watch <laughs> like that's how I got to see the interview with with Danny and Larry King. Yes. You know, I, I watch as much as I can. I go to like weird places on the Internet. Like, like, you know, we, we did something, you know, many episodes ago about like fun facts, you know, yeah, right. because everything is fodder. And um, and you just want to know about the person. Yeah. I don't want to. I mean, I, I, I knew that he was a runner, you yeah. know, because I, you know, even before the socks thing, I knew he was a runner because I read that he was a runner. So yeah. 
So anyway, yeah, it is it is pretty funny. But, but Larry I guess that was just guy. that was just that was part of his charm. You know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, there you have it. There is your Culture Pop podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. Um, I hope that uh, your holiday season is fantastic. Merry Christmas um, and uh, happy Hanukkah and happy New Year and all that stuff. We appreciate you being out there all the time. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. And don't forget, leave us a rating and a review. Sue, we'll see you next time. Have a great holiday. <laughs>